anything else to be able to have you just absolutely saturate our praise with your presence. We thank you for your glory and grace, and we get the chance every single week to come together as a family of God here at CAC and join with thousands around the globe who have given you praise and adoration. We come with joyful hearts. We come with heavy hearts. We come with really great weeks. We've come with horrible weeks. We've come because someone's come into this world. We've come and someone we love has gone. And so I pray, oh God, in the midst of all of that, that you will meet us at the point of our need wherever we're at. I'm so delighted that we can do it together. I love this place. I love you. I'm so delighted that you honor us with your presence with your word that you've kept for thousands of years so that we could understand how to live the life you've called us to. May you be glorified in everything we do this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do things a little bit different this morning. The usher is going to take the offering right now as we speak. you understand why as we go through the message. If you're visiting us today, we're honored to have you. There's a card that looks like this somewhere around you or behind you. Fill that out. Take it back to the back at the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you and hopefully answer some of your questions. We'd love to answer them all. Uh, membership class is coming up. A lot of people wonder, how can I join? What does that look like? What does it entail? And every year we have one in the fall and one in the spring. Sometimes it's a one-day event, sometimes a two-Sunday night event. We have found the one-day event fits a lot of people's schedules so that everybody can come on that one day. If you want to, we'd love to have you there. You've got to read and get all the material ahead of time so that we can hopefully answer every question you have because you only have that one opportunity. Everything and anything you've ever wanted to know about CAC and then some, we'll try to address that day. So uh, if you want to, call us, let us know, pick up some material, register online, a lot about that. Photo directories are here, so if you were a part of that, they're outside those doors. Josh Wilson concert is uh, coming up on December the 4th, and tickets are available for that as well. It's going to be a great Christmas celebration. I love Christmas and Christmas music, and uh, it's going to be a really great way to kick it off. How many of you like this church? Um, oh, most of you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the ones that didn't raise their hands, I'm kind of a little bit confused on that. I hope you like it enough to have invited a friend down through the years. This November, starting next Sunday morning, is going to be a great opportunity for you to do that. We're going to talk about, we're staying in the context of Ephesians, but we're going to talk about marriage and the family. Marriage as God designed it, family matters, parenting, being a child, all of those issues come right out of Ephesians chapter 5 flowing into the first part of chapter 6. So it's a great opportunity to, for you to invite somebody, and, and we hope you'll do that. 80, 75 to 80% of Americans get married at one point or the other, and pretty much 100% of us have come from a family in some context or the other, right? So it is an issue that all of us deal with one way or the other at one time or the other. And it's a great platform out of this section of Scripture in Ephesians for us to share the context of that. Great opportunity for you to invite a friend. So we'd love to do that. We obviously have lots of room, and we'd love for you to do that. We'll set up more chairs you invite them all. And uh, just so we can have a great time unpacking the Word of God, I think we have a lot to offer here. I know we have a lot to offer through the Word of God. And I trust you have found that true. Certainly all of our ministries here, but we would love for you to take advantage of that as we do together this morning. Take your sermon notes out. You're going to see that we picked up where we left off and where we have left off the last few weeks. We've been unpacking the book of Ephesians. In the first few chapters, Paul clearly lays out who we were, where we were, 
We had no hope on this planet, none at all. And God, in his unbelievable, amazing grace, which is why you ought to be able to sing that from the depths of your soul, rescued us and redeemed us and set us free. He says now in the beginning or in the middle of that, now that you understand who you were, what God did, I'm begging you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received when you identify yourself as a follower of Christ. Now, if you have not identified yourself as a follower of Christ, you're probably still wrestling with some things. But if you've identified yourself as a follower of Christ, you probably remember the things that I used to do before I found Jesus, the things that I wanted to walk away from, and now the things that I want to do now that I'm a follower of Christ. Some of those things every once in a while keep chasing me, but I really want to walk away from them. Now, you can fill in your own blanks. Before Jesus, I, whatever that may look like. Before Jesus, I did this, I did that, I, I didn't want to, I, I lied or I cheated or I, I told dirty stories or I had my hobby as the, as the idol of my life. Could be a number of other things. Could be when you were five when you accepted Jesus or 50 when you accepted Jesus. The list will look different. But before Christ, there were things that you did that you were not wanting to do and you knew he didn't want you to do. By the way, at the end of life, he said, I'm gonna, I, I love for every one of you who know me as Savior, I love to take you home. By the way, you need to know, I'm holy and you're not. Well, how can I get in? Be holy. Well, how can I do that? I mean, I'm trying. There, there are a lot of things that I used to do I don't do anymore, but be holy? How, how do I do that? Glad you asked. Because I can give you all the help that's necessary. And you remember some of the things you used to do that you want to get away from. You remember the things that something inside of you says, now that you're a follower of Christ, you don't want to do that. And you found yourself every once in a while saying, this is really hard to live this Christian life, to live the life he's calling me to. Those things keep chasing me every once in a while. I find myself in environments that really have a tendency to pull me down or pull me back. So what do I do? Make yourself available to the Spirit of God and rivers of living water will just flow down. <laughs> We're going to get to that in a minute, by the way, interestingly enough. Make yourself available to the Spirit of God. What I love about God is that He doesn't let us try to figure this out on our own. Hey, I'm holy, you're not. Love to take you there, figure it out, hope you get there. I love the fact that God doesn't do that. He said, I will give you the power of my Spirit to help you live the life that I'm calling you to. Day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, I'll give you my spirit helping you live out the life that I'm calling you to. So you've got to make yourself available to that. Empty yourself of self. I was driving my own life. I was, and you don't want God to be your co-pilot. That's the dumbest sign I've ever seen. You want God to be your pilot. You want God to drive your life. I'm sorry. Some of you have it in your car. I'm really. Somebody's going to be out there with a screwdriver trying to take that you want God to be your pilot. You want him to direct your life. So you give yourself to him and say, okay, God, I got to have your help. Good, I'm glad you asked. I've got it for you. So when you're facing that guy at work, when you're facing that lady at home, when you're facing that dad who drives you nuts, when you're facing that situation, that group of friends that try to pull you down, look, I want you to rely on my spirit. I want you to call on me at that moment. God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to respond that way. I don't want to react that way. I don't want to say those things. God, by your spirit, will you help me to respond and not react, which means you're going to have to step back for a second and, and respond. 
Because you know as well as I do, once the tube's out of the toothpaste, you can't put it back in, right? So once the words come out, once the response comes out, once the reaction comes back out, it's not like you can put it back in. So God says, look, you, you let my spirit guide your actions, guide your reactions, guide your thoughts, what you see, what you watch, how you react to people, how you respond, how you deal with that guy at work, how you deal with that lady in the neighborhood, how you deal with your boss, how you deal with that employee, how you deal with your mom, how you deal with your mother-in-law. No, no, sorry. God, we have no mother-in-laws here, right? That's, that's what I love about God. He says, I'm not letting you here trying to figure it out on your own. I'll give you the power of my spirit. So in 5.18, he said, look, here's the life I'm calling you to. This is what I brought you from. Live a life worthy of calling and make yourself available to the Spirit. Let him fill you. Let him control you. Be being in a place all the time where the Spirit of God can saturate your life, dominate your thinking, control your responses to life. Every day. Every moment. Every decision. Every circumstance. Okay. Is that a suggestion? Nope. It's a command. Is it an option? Nope. It's a command. Not because God's a dictator, but because he knows it works. And he's God. So he knows what works. So he said, be filled with my spirit. Be in a place, a position where I can so saturate and dominate your life that you'll be able to respond to all the situations around you. Because they will be hard. Let me tell you that right now. They will be hard. They'll be difficult. <laughs> I got to stop for a second. A little boy that was born over, a little over a year ago, right, Abel? One pound, 12 ounces. Matter of fact, right before he was born, we came up, prayed over his family, and, and uh, they were down in the hospital in Pittsburgh, and, and Abel was born. One pound, 12 ounce, pretty premature. Look at him today. Perfect. So, you think, well, man, the power of the Spirit, man, the power of the Spirit comes over your life, you're going to be able to heal the sick. You're going to be able to raise the dead, preach powerful sermons. It's awesome. Man, I want to go to a church that has the power of God in it, the Spirit of God on it, because I'm telling you, when that happens, they're going to raise the dead, heal the sick, preach amazing sermons, move mountains. You know what God says is going to be the response when you allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit? You're going to sing. <laughs> go to what? I'd rather do the other things. They sound more fun. I don't even like music. I don't sing very well. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with an expression of your soul, an opportunity to be able to give praise and adoration to the God who rescued you and redeemed you and bought you off of that block. Remember when we talked about that image of having people standing up here all across this platform? If you've ever seen a slave market where a slave owner went by and said, well, okay, I like that one. That one's got flaws. I don't like that one. That one will never do. That one's okay. I'll try it with that one. But when God sees us with all of our flaws and all of our problems and all of our issues and said, I'll take them all. I'll pay the price. Whatever the price is, I'll take them all. And you and I were one of them. And he rescued us and redeemed us. And it gives us the opportunity to express that. And the first thing that comes out of a life saturated with the Spirit of God is an expression of the soul in praise and adoration. Look at it in verse 18 of chapter 5. 
Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He talks about that last Sunday morning, the things that control us or we use as substitutes. Instead, that'll never satisfy. Instead, be filled or be in a place where you're constantly being filled with my spirit. And when you do, you'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the heart. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus. We're going to see over the next few weeks that when you allow yourself to be directed by God's Spirit, it's going to affect your worship, it's going to affect your marriage, it's going to affect your parenting, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect your work. You're going to see all the way from now to the middle of chapter 6 that when you allow yourself to be in a position where God controls and consumes your life and you allow His Spirit to so saturate your thinking and your lifestyle, it's going to affect every single area of your life. That's awesome. It's going to affect my worship this morning. It's going to affect my marriage. It's going to affect my family. It's going to affect my parenting. It's going to affect my boss or how I boss. It's going to affect my work and how I work. God's Spirit communicates us predominantly through his word, which is one of the reasons we ask you to study it and be in it, to learn it, to memorize it, and let it make decisions for you, which is why we have you in the word of God so often. Remember a few weeks ago when I talked about people in churches who give us a, a code of conduct for Christians that doesn't always seem to be consistent with the word. It seems like they, they have another list of rules. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, these are the things you do and these are the things you don't do. And you look for those things in the word of God, you don't quite see them. And sometimes they make them sound like biblical mandates when they're not. One of the best visuals I've found to help me understand all of that, something I found years ago that's on your screen this morning and in your sermon notes. As followers of Christ, we embrace some core absolutes. Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Scripture, is the Messiah. Jesus in Scripture is the Son of God. Jesus Christ in Scripture is the only way to God. He's the only way to heaven. There is only one way, and it's through Christ. The Word of God is the Word of God. It's not just a book about God, even though it talks about God. Even though it's a book that tells us about God, the Word of God this Bible is the Word of God. Biblical absolutes, things that we don't change on. Absolutes aren't subject to my personal thoughts or my cultural trends or even my feelings. People commit themselves to Jesus the same way they did a thousand years ago. Everything we believe as Christian fits somewhere in one of these four areas. The center of the absolutes, the unchanging foundations of faith. Now, unfortunately, we live in a world or a society that doesn't have any absolutes. Now, whatever you feel like. If it's okay for you, but not necessarily okay for me. There's a lot of ways to heaven, and the list is endless. We believe there are biblical absolutes found in the Word of God. And the next circle is interpretations. When we read a certain passage of Scripture, and I or any pastor stands up here and says, well, this is what this means. They're interpreting what they see out of that section of Scripture. Then there are deductions. They come from looking at a number of passages of Scripture and drawing some conclusions. Let me give you an example. If I'm developing my theology on prayer and I'm only going to have one verse, you know which one I'm going to pick? Ask whatever you want and I'll do it. I love that one. All right, that, if I'm going to develop a theology on prayer, that's the one I'm going to take. Ask whatever you want God says and I'll do it. I like that. That's my theology on prayer. Except John 14 when he said, before you ask what I want, you better make sure you're in me and I'm in you. Well, then you add James. He said, okay, you need to make sure your motives are pure before you ask. Oh, okay, then now, as I look at the broad section of Scripture about a certain topic, it's not just ask whatever you want. 
It's I've got to abide in him. He abides in me. I've got to make sure my motives are pure. Husbands, I, I, let me be really honest with you. If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, there's a block. And I'm, to be honest with you, not hearing your prayers, God said in, the, in Peter, First Peter. So now, as I develop my theology on prayer, I'm deducting from Scripture, deducing from Scripture, that my theology is broader than just one verse. And then there are, of course, opinions and preferences. Something, you know, how long, let me ask you this question, how long is the, does the Bible say a church service ought to be? 60 minutes, right? Isn't that, it's like the TV show. You know, just so you know, ours are scripted for 65. We have multiple services. I got a friend who has five services on Sunday morning. He said the Spirit of God has 55 minutes to show up. All right, because we got another service coming. So uh, there, there's no mandate. What classes should we offer? When youth groups should be offered? Should it be offered on Wednesday nights? Well, what the Bible says, if things happen on Wednesday night, where? You know, but, but churches and people have taken some of those preferences and stylistic issues and kind of made them mandates. I, I've known churches that have split over some of the dumbest things that one can possibly imagine in a lifetime. The color of the carpet. The services they offer, the style of music. Whoa, whoa. Okay, we'll get to that. We, we had people that weren't thrilled when we moved in here because it looked like an auditorium. What does this look like? An auditorium. Well, what is it supposed to look like? A place where people can sit down. Well, we had people, and we called a sanctuary because I like that word, but it looks like an auditorium. I know that. But there were people who said, no, it has to look this way, and you're supposed to call it a sanctuary. It's biblical. Well, it's biblical Old Testament, New Testament, no direction at all as to what it ought to look like. In the Old Testament, very specific as to what it ought to look like. And if you read those Old Testament sections of Scripture that describe it, you'll never find a church today that looks like it. Does that mean they're unbiblical? Not at all. We all agree on the absolutes, but the interpretation, deductions, and subjections, those are the things that get us in a lot of trouble. Uh, talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have various interpretations on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some Christians believe that some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you see in the Word of God ended when the apostles died. Other followers of Christ believe that all the gifts are available to the church today. Charles Swindoll and I are both believers and followers of Christ. We would disagree on our theology of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he uses. Does that mean we're not biblical? No, it means we interpret it differently. End times theology. When Jesus is going to come back, how he's going to come back, the rapture, when that's going to take place. How many want to be on the first bus? All right, lie, every, you've watched Left Behind, we're going on that bus. I'm in the middle bus. Some people are at the end bus. Some people aren't even sure if there is a bus. All of those are deductions or assumptions on the process. How long should a service should be? What the order of service should be? Suits and ties, that's a big one. Watch our church. You'll know when Communion Sunday is when a guys that usually don't dress up with suits and ties are in suits and ties. Nothing biblical about that at all. No biblical mandate, but we all have these preferences as to what we do, other than Paul, who always dresses so incredibly nice. <clears throat> when should the offering be taken? Should we pray over the offering? How should it be taken? Where churches and people get into trouble is when they make interpretations or preferences and absolute. This morning's subject, Music and worship has divided churches for decades. 
The one medium that God has given us to express to him our love and adoration is the one medium that has divided the church more than almost any other issue in the last 40 to 50 years. Do you not find that fascinating? One of the greatest mediums that God has given us to express our love and adoration to him, which is music and worship and the experience that goes with that, has been the one thing that has divided the church from my vantage point, especially being in it 40 years, more than any other issue outside of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Worship and praise are the absolutes. How we do it has changed. Look at the text here. Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. One of the obvious expressions of being filled with the Spirit of God is that it flows out of me. I live a grateful life. And because of the gratitude of what he's done in my life, I just want to let it out. And the first dynamic of that Spirit-filled life when he takes over is, I got a song. And unless I'm full of something, full of the Spirit and full of Him, I usually can't express what I don't feel. The song that's in us is a spontaneous result of God's Spirit flowing out of me. I give thanks, I do it from my heart, and I do it to Him. There's a great parallel verse in John chapter 7, verse 38. It's going to be funny now that we're doing the rain. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, Out of them will flow rivers or streams of living water. If you come to Jesus and you allow him to control your life, he says out of that, out of that relationship, things are going to flow. Things are fresh living water. So that when somebody bumps into you or you bump into somebody else, Jesus spills out. Isn't that awesome? But there are some people who claim to be followers of Christ who when they're bumped into, nasty spills out. Or grumpy spills out. Or sarcastic spills out. Now if all that flows out is grumpy or nasty or sarcastic or nothing flows out, you may want to consider the fact that you may not be filled or being controlled by the Spirit. Because when you're controlled or filled with the Spirit, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Don't be perfect and it won't happen all the time. But you'll be so aware of that that you'll want to make sure that that's what's flowing out. rest of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 is an outcome of being filled with the Spirit. The first result is singing. Of all the possible outcomes or evidences of being filled with the Spirit, I find it fascinating that God says, here we sing. Music plays an incredible role in the economy of God. The Old Testament is filled with it. In heaven, we're going to do it all the time. No preaching, no offering, no announcements. Is that not awesome or what? Singing all the time, constant singing. We'll be telling the story of the redeemed, the song of the soul set free. Now, people who hate to sing are going to be in trouble when they get to heaven. And usually those who hate to sing or love to sing is normally based on my ability to sing. The point of the song in the heart of the spirit-filled life has nothing to do with ability in your sermon notes. It's an expression of the soul. That's nothing to do with how well you sing. It's an expression of the soul. What I feel deep down inside, and and because of what I know he's done for me, I, I want to express that in music just gives us an incredible medium in which to do it. When I'm full of Christ, it'll come out. I sing. God loves music. It's the language of the soul. Even our salvation is tied into music. This new life we have in Christ is tied to a song, Psalm 33. 
Sing for joy to the Lord, you who are redeemed. Why? For praise is becoming on the upright. You know what that means? This is the interpretation side. It means that praise looks good on you. It, it means that praise looks good on you. So if I were standing up here on a Sunday morning and I was watching you respond to what we're going to do in a few moments and I watched how you responded to that, I will either have the opinion, hey, that looks good on you or you really need some work. Not on your ability, but on your relationship with the Lord because it should be a natural outflow because of what he has done, rescued and redeemed us and set us free. And, and when you respond that way, man, it just looks good on you, which is what he's saying. Psalm 40, verse 3, put a new song in my mouth. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation. It is the song of the redeemed, rescued from the market, set free. Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song. Why? Because he is worthy, because you purchased us with your own blood, people from every nation. When the Israelites were rescued from the bondage of Egypt, Moses taught them how to sing. When you and I are rescued, the thing we want to do is say thanks. We want to give gratitude. Music to us is one of the most important dynamics of the hour. Remember years ago, they used to call it preliminaries, as if the main piece of the service was the message. This entire day, now we, we, we and I, you've heard me talk about it. Dave read all this sermon, by the way, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. But sometimes we call worship this piece when we're singing and, and the rest of it, the, the message or whatever. The entire hour is worship. When you walk in and you're talking to people and you're encouraging one another and you're smiling and lifting up their day, when they've gone through really deep waters, you're worshiping. When you give your offering, you're worshiping. When you walk around this, be, between services and talk to the people around you, you're giving God praise and worship. When you're singing, you're praising. When you're listening, you're praising. When you're praying, you're praising. All of it is the context of worship. 1 Chronicles 13, the whole congregation sang. They were celebrating before their Lord. It says they sang with all their might. You know what that means? Exactly. It means God likes it loud. Doesn't that just blow your mind as a parent when you're going to say, that's too loud. God likes it loud. They sang with all their might. And if, you, and by the way, if you think it's loud now, wait to get to heaven. And I'm not talking about noise. I'm talking about an expression of my soul and my heart. All the way through Scripture, all kinds of instruments were being used. Do you remember, any of you long, lived long enough in churches to remember what a, what a huge division that, that being having drums in a church brought to churches? Oh, my goodness. Did you ever read the Word of God? It's filled with every instrument under the sun. But we made that an absolute when it was a preference. It was a style. It was actually obedience to Scripture because he said, tell you what, get every instrument you can find and bring them to the house of God and give me praise. Second dynamic, or the three dynamics here you'll see in this section here is the first piece of that, speak to one another. Now, there are a couple things about that. A lot of us sing alone. I, I know I do. People see me driving all the time wondering, is he talking to himself? Sometimes I am, and sometimes I listen to that. I've got so many voices in my head that I could go in the HOV lane alone. And I know you've heard me say that. But most of the time, I'm singing. I, I 88.7 now because we get it here in Butler, Family Life Network. I love it. And so I listen to it all the time. It's just what's, if I don't get that, I'm putting in a Dave... I bought another truck that doesn't have any, I, I can't, there's no CD player, there's no cassette, there's no 8-track. I'm going, what am I supposed to do for music besides the radio? He said, well, you put a stick in it. I said, no, I live in the woods now, tell me again. 
What do you mean when it says I put a stick in it to listen to music? Well, it's a little thing, and it, yeah, that's how backwards I am. But the beauty of what we do on Sunday morning is that we're doing it to one another. And we're all together in this. We're just doing it to have fun and to be thrilled, to exercise our, our awareness of the presence of Almighty God. There's just something about corporate worship together. Second dynamic, from the heart. It literally means making melody caused by your heart. i got to be really honest with you. To sing without your heart being in it doesn't work. Now, we tell you to stand and sing, and, and, and I, I know we all do that, and we tell you, but, but we want your heart to be in it. John Wesley said, you know what the ultimate goal of my life is? To be the most perfect worshiper of God I can be. That's what I want more than anything else. After all he's rescued me from, I want to worship him in his holy presence. I don't want my mind to wander at times it does, but I want my focus to be on him. Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. Uh, I've, I've never worshipped in the presence of Mount Blanc, which is one of the most majestic mountains in France, or even amidst a thunder, as much as I have at the foot of the cross. But no matter what I've seen around me, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth shows his handiwork, absolutely. But none of that compares to being able to recognize that at the foot of the cross, I'm rescued, redeemed, regardless of my background, regardless of my past, regardless of my junk, and I have an opportunity to be able to celebrate that. Spurgeon said, are there not times in your life you just want to dance for joy? You just want to sing and give praise to God. If your worship is dull, it's not because of him. It may be because of you. A.W. Tozer said, worship means to feel in the soul. Worship with all your heart. To express in some appropriate manner what you feel. A humbling delight in the presence of the Almighty. After I understand what he did for me, I understand how I want to respond to that. So I want to be honest with you. If your heart's not in it, don't sing. People of Israel, when they were in bondage, had no song. Psalm 137, we sat down and we wept and remembered a time when we were free, but now we hang our harps on a tree. And there are times when you don't feel like singing. There's a young man who used to sit in the seat right behind you, sweetheart, who's not here now and died yesterday. There's some times when you come to church, you just don't feel like it. Nadine lost her dad this weekend. He's at the funeral today. There's a lot of times you come to church and... You're just not into it. You just want to just sit and listen to others. It's fine. You just want to express your heart and your soul to God. And you want to sometimes just sit and let others do that for you because you just, at that moment, don't feel like doing it. You want your heart in it. Whether you're in the audience or singing in the choir or the worship team or, or, or singing wherever you are, make sure your heart's right. And the answer isn't, then I won't sing. The answer is, get your heart right. Let the Lord touch you and he'll give you a song. In Amos chapter 5, it says they kept on singing when their hearts weren't right. And God says, I want to be really honest with you. I have enough of that. I hate it, to be honest with you, when you do that. I despise your religious festivals. Even though you bring me offerings and, and grain offerings, I don't accept them. Though you choose to bring fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your song. I won't listen to the music of your heart. I won't listen to the music of your harps. I want your heart to be in it. If you're doing it for show or entertainment or just going through the motions or if you look different up front than you do in your seat, God says, get your heart right first. 
and then do it. And wherever that may be, out there, up here, if, you, if you're different in your approach and how you praise up here than you are out there, I get a little nervous with that because I think they ought to be the same, no matter where you are. Form and style are never the issues. The issue is my heart, right? We made form and style the issues, choruses and hymns and raised hands and clapping hands, sitting down, standing up. I don't clap. I don't clap well. I'm not gifted that way, so I, you'll notice I hardly ever clap. I know Dave tells us to, and I understand the context of that, but I don't clap well. I'm a hand raiser. That's fine. Choruses and hymns, we've argued over that for 50 years. 7-Eleven, you guys go to Community Alliance, just sing those 7-Eleven choruses. I'm going, what is that? We have coffee with it or what? I don't know what that is. Well, it's seven songs that you sing 11 times over and over and over again. I get that. I understand that. I, I've told you before about one of the contemporary songs that, that it, the only thing that says is thank you. I thought they could have been a little more creative than that. I understand the heart, but I think you can be a little bit more creative than that. I kid all the time about Carrie Joby's song, I'm Not Alone. I know that. You've said it 92 times. Uh, and there's some songs that you want, are they ever going to end that song? So I, I get all of that. But you got to remember, I grew up with all hymns that we repeated the chorus 18 times. And when you had a revival service, you sang Just As I Am until somebody, whether it was an hour and a half, came to Jesus that day. You sang Just As I Am 83 times. And you know it. It's not about choruses and hymns and how long they are or, or hands clapping or raising our hands or sitting down. The real, those are, are, are not the real issues. They're not the absolutes. Worship is the real issue. Form isn't. It's always a matter of the heart. Third dynamic is to the Lord. I, I love this, and I, and I very clearly looked at every single of the songs we sang this morning, and I love the fact that they were done to the Lord, not about Him, as if He's not here. You've been in situations where we're singing about God as if he's not around. I love the fact when I looked at almost every single of the words this morning, we were singing to a God who we knew was here. Studies have been done in churches about what kind of music glorifies God and which ones he likes. There's an amazing parallel between what we like and what God likes. If we liked it, God must. If we don't, God can't. The issue isn't whether or not I like it. The issue is always, is God pleased? Because the song is for him, not us. We want an opportunity to give praise and adoration to the power and wonder of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, Jesus is speaking about who he was and what he did. And Hebrews builds a, a really powerful foundation. It's one of the books I've never done before in its entirety. But they tell us exactly why Jesus was the ultimate Messiah in the entire book. And in the middle of him being described that way and then him responding to what he's done and what God's given him the opportunity to do, it says that he is interceding for the church and in the midst of the church it says, I sing. Jesus does. He takes what's in my heart regardless of my ability and he gives it to God. If you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to impact every single area of your life. But one of the first things it will impact is your worship experience because it'll be an opportunity to express from my soul with the people of God to him how grateful I am that when I was on that block and I had no hope on this planet and I was dead in my trespasses and sins, he rescued me and set me free and called me a 
a masterpiece. That makes me want to sing. God, we thank you for your love and grace and for the glory that abounds as your people gather together all over this planet to give you praise and adoration. And so help us to really see it for what it is and understand it clearly and then communicate to you what we feel in our hearts, whether it be sorrow, whether it be joy, whether it be exhilaration or pain. May you hear from us as we give to you our expression of what we feel when the Spirit consumes our lives and then flows out. In Jesus' name. Watch this video. <laughs>